0: welcome to the driving your marketing podcast where small business entrepreneurs come discover the strategies systems and tools to kick their marketing into high gear if you want to go from surviving small business owner to thriving entrepreneur you're in the right place let's get ready to roll Alright, welcome everybody. Eli Delaney here with Your Marketing University and our Driving Your Marketing podcast where we come in, interview cool, fun people that I meet throughout the world that are networkers, that are marketers, that are people that are making a difference and, most importantly, teaching you... How marketing does not have to be big, complicated, scary, black magic, or voodoo. It's all the stuff that you can actually do. Many times you don't even have to have a big budget to do it. But my goal is to make it as easy as possible for you to embrace what marketing really is and how you can get in front of more people, have more fun in the process. And today... I am honored to have a guest that I've actually had on the show a long, long time ago. As a matter of fact, he was my first interview when I started this show, and this is Shell Horowitz. For over a decade, Shell has been showing business owners how to be more profitable while being green and ethical. He's recently focused on profit motive as a powerful tool for turning hunger and poverty um, into sufficiency, war into peace and doing all kinds of other great things. And part of this with his new book, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World, um, co-authored by J. Conrad Levinson, the father of guerrilla marketing, who has been a huge influence on myself. Uh, Shell, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure, Eli. It's nice to be back.
0: Yes, it's been way, way too long. So as you know, I kind of just went through your bio very quickly on a very short scale. Give us a bigger picture of who you are and what you've been working on.
1: Okay. I have always been motivated by making the world better. And I have always used my marketing skills for that kind of transformational social change. The earliest... Social change event I can remember in my life happened, believe it or not, at age three. <laughs> so I've been doing this a long time. I didn't get re- really serious about it until about age 12. But uh, there was this one incident where I went around destroying cigarettes that my parents' friends had at a party lying around because I knew that cigarettes were bad for me and for the environment. I, I didn't have to be told that. And so that that started me on this lifetime. And for really about 40 years now, I've combined the marketing world and the social change world as primary interests in my own work. And for about the last 15, I've been braiding them together. And what happened when I started to do that is I started to think much bigger. And I really started to look at just as 10, 15 years ago, going green was something people thought of as a hassle and a have to and an expensive pain in the butt and now they see it as a profit generator, a revenue generator, a cost cutter, and now also the more and more of the consumer world demands it, I think we're going to see the same thing about addressing hunger, poverty, war, climate change, and similar problems. And I take kind of as my motto uh, a shortened version of a quote from Muhammad Ali, of all people, that impossible is not a fact, it's a dare, it's a challenge. We have done all sorts of things in our lives and in our species' lives that we were told were impossible, and it's time to say in 2016: Why should we have to put up with this crap anymore? We have enough food to go around. We have enough tech. We know a, a lot about the technologies in order to use clean energy. Um, we know a lot about how to deflate hostility and prevent war. And what are we waiting for? <laughs> you know, we waiting for the climate to just take us to a cinder. Uh, we it, it, our window is really getting smaller, and we need to go through it before it closes.
0: Nice, very cool. Well, and it's so funny that. You know, a lot of times we as entrepreneurs, as business owners, especially those of us that are small business owners, we don't think about these kind of things as much as we probably should. And a lot of times it's because we don't think that we are going to make that much of a difference. And so one of the things I'd like you to do is share a little bit of what are some of the entrepreneurs and companies that you know that are actually really making a difference and how can that relate to companies that like smaller companies like, like us that are doing mm-hmm. this?
1: Okay, well, I'm a solopreneur, so I'm right in that ballpark, and I see myself making a difference in convincing the business world that the stuff, A, can be done and B, should be done. But there are lots and lots of other examples. There are at least three companies. One of them is called d one of them is Waka Waka, and I forget the third one, that are making solar-powered LED lanterns and selling them at a profit in the developing world, typically in a time payment. So let me just tell you why this is important. Solar LED lanterns, so what? That's always the marketing question, right? So what? What's in it for me? Well, they are typically replacing one of two things, either a kerosene lamp or no lamp. So let's just say it's a kerosene lamp. Kerosene lamps are fire-prone. A lot of people have been killed and maimed in kerosene fires. They're toxic. They emit bad fumes. They have a carbon footprint, of course. And they have, quite frankly, not great light. So you come in and you take the money the family was paying for kerosene, let's just say it's $2 a month, and let's say their income is $30 a month. And, you know, by taking that $2 a month and putting it as a monthly payment on the $20 lamp, in 10 months you own it free and clear, and then after that you have two more dollars out of your 30 that's a significant increase in your purchasing power. Not only that, you've gotten rid of the fire threat, you've gotten rid of the toxic fumes, your kids are not going to get asthma from this thing, and they are going to be able to see well enough to do their homework and get better grades, while the parents maybe, after a day working outside in the field, maybe now they can put together some kind of craft business and make something and sell it that they couldn't see well enough to do before. So this little $20 lantern sold, again, at a profit. This is not a grant, this is not charity, this is selling something that people need at a price they can pay, in a way they can pay it, and making money at it. And, you know, this thing becomes a ladder out of poverty. So there's one example that I really, really love. Uh, Another example, there's my friend Dean Sycon, who is the CEO of a company called Dean's Beans. It's a coffee roaster. Now, you hear a lot from companies like Starbucks and Green Mountain about how they're going green and they're they're doing like, you know, five percent, ten percent of their coffee is now fair trade and organic. Well Dean's beans started I think nineteen ninety three, so more than twenty years ago, and every single bean that company has ever sold has been organic and fair trade. And they take some of their profits and they put it into village led development projects in the coffee villages where they're getting their coffee. So it could be um, an anti-domestic violence project in Rwanda, or it could be a well in Guatemala, whatever it is, whatever the village wants. Uh, Dean will fund it, and he'll often go over there and help them get it started. They'll provide technical support. He, he does great travel writing on all these places he goes to with his, uh, both his coffee work and his development work. Uh, he's got a book called Java Trekker that is a wonderful read. And, um, you know, so he is making a difference. And he's not a one-person company, but he's not that much bigger. It's a small company. Of course, on a bigger scale, you've got uh, our famous ice cream friends Ben and Jerry, who really popularized the idea, along with Anita Roddick from The Body Shop, uh, that business could really have a role in social change. And I could keep listing examples, but, um, you know, think about even grander scale, outside the business world, some of the impossible things that we now take for granted. Think about the idea that when my house was built in 1743 the belief was that humans will never go faster than the fastest horse. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. tell that to the astronauts zooming by in the space station at 17,000 miles an hour.
0: Right. Well, and it's it's so funny because the world has changed so much that things that were revolutionary and the best thing in the world at the time have now completely changed. And I think that's one of the things that we need to start changing our, our mindset behind how we do business as a whole. And I'm seeing a huge shift in it. And that's one of the reasons why this is such a timely topic is that the way we do business has shifted huge over even just the last few years. Um, I know, you know, coming from, you know, you and I, before we started this, this call, we were talking about uh, my move from, phoenix arizona up to portland oregon area and that alone i mean the the attitudes of the entrepreneurs are very very different in both places and so it kind of opened me up to a whole different way of how business is being done which actually leads me to something i wanted to, to talk to you about uh, Yeah,
1: let me just jump in with uh-huh. a portland comment because i just uh-huh. interviewed michael schumann recently he's the author of several books on local economy uh-huh. and he uses a number of examples from Portland that you might want to look into. One okay. of them is something called Supportland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a network of local businesses. So that might be a resource for you as a local entrepreneur there and also a way of, of finding community. Yes, actually,
0: I them. do. I know them. I, I met the the woman who started that. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Yes, awesome. Very cool. So, and, and that's the thing, too, is that we're also looking at... So we started off, like when I started, my first business was my weapon graphic design company. And I started it in my local community. It was primarily not just the Phoenix area, but Glendale, which is a suburb of the Phoenix area. That was primarily how I started my business. And I did really well, grew it to the point where we were closing three to five contracts a week, building websites and doing logos and all that kind of stuff for people all within a 20 mile radius. Mm -hmm. And then... My world opened up to the world of internet marketing, and so everything changes to that bigger scale and Now most of my business is not even done where I'm at It's like a, another thing you and I just joked were joking about before we started um that you know I have more clients in Phoenix now than I'm not there than I ever did when I was there and so yeah
1: it's funny I mean geography really doesn't matter for an internet based business mm-hmm. My farthest away clients have been in Australia and Japan,
0: mhm. Very nice, yeah. Um,
1: I've actually had three clients from Japan.
0: Very cool. So, I
1: work out of a farmhouse in Massachusetts.
0: Yes, I've seen the pictures <laughs> too. So so with that in mind, one of the things I, that I actually want to talk about was actually a, a section in your book called the, the Old Scarcity Paradigm. Let's talk about that for a minute.
1: Okay, this is the idea that if I win, you lose, and it's not something I buy into. Uh, we have been trained as a culture to think of zero sum, to think that if uh, if someone is adding to their wealth or, or to their client list or whatever, that somebody else is subtracting. And we've seen over and over again how that model really doesn't work anymore. That we have an expansive, abundant universe. Uh, you know, you talked about working in the internet sector way back, starting a web design business in the in the old days, like nineteen ninety. Nine, mm-hmm. Just say, you know, there was rapid growth in the Internet, and then the bubble burst in 2001, and it came crashing down, and everybody said, oh, the Internet is just a flash in the pan. Well, look at it now. Not only are there probably 1,000 or more times as many Internet based businesses now as there were um, when just before the bubble, but all sorts of things that we never thought about back then doing online. We pay our bills online, we monitor uh, our kids'. Uh, from our office to their bedroom hundreds well not hundreds of miles away but you know a dozen miles away all of these kinds of things we get our refrigerators talking to our can openers (laughs) (laughs) uh, and we are still at the model t stage
0: right no definitely
1: so it's just going to keep expanding the i talk a lot Uh, in the book and elsewhere, about how market share is basically irrelevant for a lot of businesses. Market share is a much less important metric than profitability. You and I, as people who are consultants and service providers, if we were to provide 0.0001 percent of the clients out there with services, we would never sleep, we would never eat, we would never do anything, ever get up from our computers. We'd be fried in about two weeks and uh you know we couldn't handle it so Mm -hmm. then what does it matter to me if your calendar is full as long as mine is also full i'm
0: happy for you right well and that's a that i think is a really important part to kind of go into more with because i still find when i start working with some of some people that are in more the local business market that they still have that scarcity mindset and I think that's something that we need to talk about more on a bigger scale as a whole not just in this interview but as a whole on yeah. how can we change that and you actually have another section in your book that fits perfect in this which is turn your competitors into allies mm-hmm. and that's
1: And I started doing this very early in the I started my business in 1981 and in the early days, it was mostly a term paper typing service. And I began to add writing resumes and from there writing press releases and writing other kinds of marketing things and then becoming a marketing consultant and a publishing consultant. just kept building and building and building. I still do actually everything that I've ever done, all the services I've ever offered in business except for two. One of them is typing term papers. I haven't done that since, I think, 1990. <laughs> and the other is uh, consulting with people on what kind of computer system they should buy, which got way too big and complicated for me, way too fast. (laughs) But other than that, I'm still writing resumes for people and I'm still writing press releases and I'm also doing the high-level consulting on how to build social change directly into your products and services. But in the very early days of my business, I discovered that there was something called the Western Massachusetts Secretarial Services Association. And I've always been good about networking with my competitors, so I went and I decided to see what they were about. And lo and behold, I found a lot of people who hated to write resumes and loved to transcribe tapes. And that was great because I hated to transcribe tapes and I loved to write resumes. So we both overlapped in, we all, I should say, overlapped in in the straight typing jobs that at that point were part of my business. But we had these other areas where we each had a specialty and we were very, very happy rather than sending somebody away mad because we didn't have the resource for them. We could say, Oh, for that, you should just, where are you located? Okay, here's somebody you can call in that area. Mm-hmm. And everybody's happy. And actually, another one of my competitors and I started ordering office products together because it, we could make the minimum for free shipping by going in together. So, this is again, this is back in the early 80s. So, it just became second nature to me. Perhaps my biggest success story in collaborating with a competitor is that I have now done two books co-authored with Jay Conrad Levinson, father of guerrilla marketing. Mm -hmm. Jay is a marketing speaker. I'm a marketing speaker. Jay is a consultant and copywriter. I'm a consultant and copywriter. Yet we were able to expand both of our universes by working together. Uh, He basically got from me, he got credibility in the green world that he never had. And I got, of course, to be part of the biggest name in marketing history, and the best selling brand. And let me tell you, yes, it does open doors when you can say I'm a
0: guerrilla marketing author. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Well, and you know, that's a funny thing about that is that I've always been such a huge fan of the guerrilla marketing family. And that was one of the biggest things that attracted me to working with you originally and having you on the show when I first was thinking about the show. You know, I hadn't even put it together yet. And since then I've I've interviewed several grill gorilla marketing authors. I've known Jay. I met him before he passed away and it was a it was an amazing experience. And even now, you know, I've got um genie his wife has i mean she and i are connected on facebook and we still talk back Uh and forth every once in a while and it's Uh amazing to be part of all of that and that's where you look at all the people that are the authors and i'm like okay well i do that i do that i do that and in a scarcity mindset i would be like well why would i want to hang out with these people they're competitors of mine where i'm looking at okay how can we work together how can we do something bigger and cooler
1: exactly Yeah, and and it's just so great, and I I find it's a really nice community. The other guerrilla marketing authors have a lot to bring to the table, and they're very generous-hearted people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about Jill Lublin, who is actually – I was in a mastermind group with her for several years, and I've met her in person a number of times. Mm -hmm. And um, Shane Gibson, who I told you about, he's a guerrilla marketing author. and uh, They're just a a really wonderful bunch, and I actually have to – connect with Jeannie on facebook and say um we need to talk about the launch for guerrilla marketing to heal the world because she and i haven't had that conversation yet about how it's going to go out to their however hundred thousand members or whatever it is so yeah it's it's amazing to me that people are still in this old i'll tell you another story from way back um sometime in the late 80s i noticed that a, a Resume shop had opened at a major crossroads in our area. Uh, this was unusual because most people who were writing resumes were doing it out of their homes or out of a small office somewhere. Mm-hmm. And this guy took uh, a big storefront in the center of a—it's a, a small town, Sunderland, Mass. And I called him up and said, "Well, you know, I see you're opening your shop. I just wanted to welcome you and wish you good luck." The guy was rude, and he was also gone by the time the next yellow pages came out. Mm-hmm. Here it is. I am still here. I get a lot of referrals. There's one resume writer two towns away from me who sends me a ton of business. Most of the resume business that I get from that is not from my own clients' referrals or from people finding me on Google is from her because she only wants to do very in-the-box resumes, and I'll do the -the out-of-the-box ones, Mm -hmm. where she can't turn them around quickly enough. So she sends me, I don't know, 10, 15 clients a year that I don't have to work for.
0: Right. That's, that's and that is so cool. You know it's it's really funny because I'm you know I am a networking coach as well. That's like one of my specialties is the networking um side of marketing. And it was funny because I was at an event, oh probably yeah, it's probably even going on a year now, and I was there supporting somebody else who's also in the networking side of things. But I was there supporting him um, with his first seminar in the area, and I met somebody else who also does the same thing. And next thing I know, she and I end up having coffee, and she signs up to be a coaching client of mine, and okay. she has been ever since. And because she sees where my value is, and I've been in the industry longer, and part of what I do is on the technology side, which is the part that scares her. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to teach you some of my networking stuff, but you know a bunch of that, but I'm going to help you with the with the technology side. And my goal is to keep her as successful as possible. And she appreciates it because she looks at me as somebody who is who is where she wants to be. And so she chose to hire me to be part of that. And it's my honor to be do, be, do that for her. It's a yeah. lot of fun.
1: Yeah, and I, I know that I am now at this point I'm where a lot of people would like to be in terms of the green marketing world. And that's mm-hmm. very nice for me. And, I, um, you, know, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how, how abundant the universe is if you just look for that abundance. And yes. I, I would like to throw that into the larger realm of dealing with the hunger and poverty stuff. Because, really, hunger, poverty, and war often are about resource use and who has what resources. And how are they using them? And who's being blocked from them? And the thing is, we have enough to go around. We don't have the scarcity that we had 100 years ago. Nice. We know how to grow enough food to feed the population of the Earth. We know how to harvest energy from the sun and the wind and magnetic fields and other technologies that we can power everything we need without using either carbon or nuclear fuels. It's just amazing, and even war, if you subtract out the craziness of religious wars, what's left over is wars based on resources. Mm-hmm. We don't need to put up with that anymore. We understand how not to have resource wars. Why are we still having them
0: right so so with that in mind, you know we'll, let's talk about this how are How are ordinary business people? able to address the global issues bigger um how can we make that as part of our own initiative especially when you know for small business owner most of the time our number one thing is just figuring out the profit how do we how do we keep that in mind and take things to the next level
1: well i think you look for the profit opportunities in doing this work like delight did like dean's beans did uh like ben and jerry's did You know, you you look for the places where products and services based on your core expertise and your core values can make a difference. So if you're, for example, in the food industry in some way, you can look at how what you can do can help hungry people. And maybe it's something as simple as planting a community garden in a poor neighborhood or maybe it's something much more complex than that that uh, involves grain-growing cycles in a, in a country far away. And to some degree, it's going to depend on your resources. If you're a mom-and-pop farm stand, it's going to be a different conversation than if you're Cargill.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and that and that makes sense, too, because I know, like, here in the Portland area, we're very big into into the community gardens and things like that. But one of the things, one of the very first examples that I had found was uh, a friend of mine used to be a dist- district manager for um, the Paradise Bakeries. And I found out that they actually have a, a policy that all of any kind of any bread or anything that's beyond their fresh state gets donated every single day. And they work in that community process in order to make sure that that happens. And I, when I was here, I met um, somebody from one of the local community centers, and I said, "You know, hey, here would be a good resource for you." And he was shocked because he didn't know that such a thing existed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So a lot of the businesses have to be better about telling their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they need somebody like me to help them with their marketing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I am, incidentally, I am starting a. Transfer, what I call transfer for, that's hard to say that transformpreneurship um, training program
0: mm-hmm.
1: a mentoring program Okay. so for uh, it's going to be a group coaching situation where for a very nominal amount of money people can have access to a lot of resources in developing this for their own types of businesses and I, I do own the domain transformpreneur.com and uh, I have been been building that site, and there's some cool stuff there. And it it goes well with the book, guerrilla marketing to heal the world, and it also goes well with my TED talk, uh, impossible as a dare. <laughs> and uh, it's it's fun, you know, Eli. It's really fun to do this. It, it it's so much different from just the daily grind of you've got to get your money because you've got to buy your food and you've got to get your uh, mortgage paid and all that and then it's taking it to this higher level I, I feel like it's really been about two years that i've known that this was my path and i feel like at age 57 two years ago i discovered what i want to be when i grow up <laughs>
0: Well, and it's it's very cool that you're doing this because the the concept behind all of this is very simple. You know, we all have passions and something that's important to us, along with our business. And mm-hmm. all we're do- all we're talking about here is just is intertwining the two. You know, what yeah. is it that actually, and what is it that you can Use actually do? Once. Yeah, how can, how can you volunteer time even, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been known to do many times for many years is, like, I'll go through and I've actually done um, social media classes for the, some of the community outreach programs. Mm -hmm. and you know, things like that. I mean, and it's simple. It's because that's what I do for a living already. But then I go and I come in and I volunteer my time to teach them. Okay, so you need to find a new job. Here's how you can use social media to do so. Or maybe how to start, a business on a budget you know some of these guys that are interested in that i've also spoke for, for kids groups teaching them how to not to use social media you know things uh,
1: like don't paste your your drunken photo on facebook because you'll never get a job exactly
0: sort of yeah and and the mm-hmm. sad sad thing enough i actually have one of those stories to share about somebody who wanted to work for me one time um so yeah. i have actual <laughs> proof behind that <laughs> issue Um, but you know, those are the kind of things you stop and it's like, okay, how can I just volunteer that one thing? And that, that volunteer could be volunteering time. It could be, um, as simple as, you know, one thing is like making more profit by cutting back expenses by doing things like the light you were talking about Uh, it could be donating your food your leftovers if you're in the restaurant business you know anything like that that can go into a community garden type of situation or a community center garden uh, situation Mm -hmm. you know things like that and it's just taking those one step at a time. I just want to interrupt with one comment one Mm -hmm. third of
1: all food in the United States is thrown away that is criminal negligence in my book Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't have a hunger problem we have a food distribution problem
0: right yeah Uh,
1: there's absolutely no reason we cannot be feeding hungry people instead of tossing that stuff in the and not even the compost usually in the garbage it's crazy yeah and it makes me very mad (laughs) (laughs) similarly with water the, the amount of water we squander as a society is just horrible you well you lived in phoenix for a while probably they're a little bit more conscience conscious about not wasting water but like the typical american in a water-rich area will just turn on the faucet and leave it on while they're washing their dishes or brushing their teeth and they'll leave it on full force Mm -hmm. and hello you can brush your teeth with about three teaspoons full of water right (laughs) if if you do it the right way And more and more we're hearing stories about how water is contaminated or water is scarce california had the big drought all during the end of two thousand fifteen we need to be much more conscious about our resource use because resource use is really about a lot of how this stuff, the problems that we've had and the solutions that we will have and, and do have. Right. And I, I'm very, I don't know if you read the section in the book about biomimicry, but I'm, it's called Mother Nature Chief Engineer.
0: No, I but hadn't I, had a chance to read that one yet.
1: Okay. I am totally fascinated by this idea that you design the way nature designs in a holistic, systemic way where there are no wastes, there are no needed outside inputs. Uh, The whole thing runs on sunlight. And there are multiple complex layers of ecosystems, each with its own piece to do. And there are people like John Todd who has developed this system of restorers that can purify water using these kinds of systems. Uh, there, but any engineering challenge that we humans face, nature faced it and solved it thousands of years ago. So we should study what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Spiders build great bridges, for example.
0: Right. Very cool. I love it. So so how does, how does your new book come into all of this, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World? Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, it's the basic roadmap for getting started. It can show a business from hundreds of, of examples in the book, some detailed case studies and some small mentions of companies ranging from solopreneurs to Fortune 100 who are really actively changing the shape of their business to, first of all, go much greener, second, reduce their energy and materials costs, and third, leapfrog into this new world of using business as a tool of positive social transformation. So I, I strongly recommend it, and, and I know you've read big pieces of it, so you can probably say something uh, from uh, you know, a, a less uh, biased source than me <laughs> <laughs> about why this book is worthwhile. But I, this is my 10th book, and it's my by far the best thing, the, the, the one that I'm most proud of, of all my 10 books. And I, I really do think it could change the culture if I can get enough people to read it. And I, I try to make it a good, easy, light read also. It's not... Uh, deep in in academic language or anything like that. It's very accessible.
0: Right. And that's one of the things, too, that I like about it is that everything that you write is very very easy to get to read you know a lot of times things like this tend to be kind of complicated and and quite honestly kind of boring sometimes and your books are not that way um, right. yeah and that that was a very big plus for me because I can get bored very easy my ADD kicks in and I'm like okay I'm on to something else this is this is cool and this is important but I want something entertaining now and that's one thing I've, I have read your last book and I had no problems with it I am in the process of reading this one haven't got it finished yet but it's very good and you've got some amazing testimony and some case studies in here. I mean, you've got Bob Berg, the the author of the the Go Giver, which is an amazing mm-hmm. book. And Bob, I matter of fact, I had him as a guest on the show uh, a while back as well. He's an amazing, co- amazingly cool guy. And yes, he is. and he's one that I, you know, when it comes to networking and connections, I'm like, okay, Bob is one of the coolest guys out there. Well, you know, the fact that you're using him as a case study in your book. That's pretty cool. You know, yeah. that shows that should give somebody reason to read it just there on top of all the other stuff we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I found Bob Berg somewhere along the way uh, in the late 90s. I found his newsletter and subscribed to it. And I started writing to him when and telling him that the work he was doing was really great work. And uh, it, he not only is a case study in the book, uh, he also gave an endorsement to it, which was one that was. Not as easy to get as some of the (laughs) others because he wanted to make sure it was not in any way in conflict with his political philosophy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, you know, we we actually had four or five emails back and forth for me to get that endorsement, but he had no trouble being a case study in the book. And um, he is just, his whole concept of winning without intimidation is is another piece of Mm -hmm. how you work with your competitors. And he's great. I'm also fortunate enough to have some celebrity... uh, endorsers and contributors there are four essays in the book by guest writers uh... i've got Frances Moore LePay on the intersection of food and democracy she's the author of diet for a small planet and a whole lot of other books about food and democracy mm-hmm. um, i've got cynthia kersey who wrote unstoppable and unstoppable women talking about her personal journey in mm. the aftermath of her divorce to doing great work uh... solving social problems in africa in women's communities there I've got Yannick Silver on the sort of traditional charity marketing. He's got 11 different models, Mm -hmm. and he's most known as an Internet marketer. So this is kind of interesting to get him writing about um, how to be a giving business. And uh, Ken MacArthur, who's just one of the warmest, fuzziest, nicest people <laughs> in the whole internet marketing community, mm-hmm. and uh, he talks about how you have an impact whether you want to or not, so you may as well make it a positive impact. Nice. And then I've also got endorsements from the likes of Jack Canfield, creator of co-creator of Chicken Soup series. Mm-hmm. I've got Seth Godin, who actually got his start, and now he's a super-famous author and blogger on really futurism and, and work uh, styles and all sorts of other cool stuff and entrepreneurship. Seth has a blurb on the back cover. Jack Canfield has the front cover. And he, a lot of people don't know this, before he became Seth Godin, he was a guerrilla marketing co-author with
0: Jay as well. hmm Yes, actually, I did. I did know that. Matter of fact, I was in a, a cool little bookstore just yesterday in um Hood River, which is basically kind of a little small town outside of the Portland area. And I found several of the guerrilla marketing books and his was one of them, as a matter of fact. So it was kind of cool. Um But that's cool. You've got some amazing people behind it. And I think, I mean, it's one of the things we don't talk about as much as we should, especially as small business owners, because a lot of times we get overwhelmed with the fact of, you know, we were just trying to keep the day to day, keep our doors open thing. I have employees, I have bills, I have all these clients driving me nuts. I I want to do all that stuff, but I just don't have time to deal with it now. Wait till I get bigger. And that's not the way to look at it. The way to look at it is how can we make the changes now? Because what ends up happening is number one, you are helping The world, you're helping heal the world, make it a better place. Second thing is you just, you don't have to take huge steps. You don't have to have a lot of money to do it. Taking little steps at a time make a difference. The third thing is then as you start doing this, you start, your people are going to notice it and that is going to actually help bring more clients in the door because I, I can know like for me, when it comes to any, Any project that's kind of my personal passion, it has to do with animals because my animals are a big part of my life. And it's really funny because I found that when I actually stop and think about it, the mass majority, and I'm talking like 95 plus percent of my clients are avid animal lovers. And it's great because I'm just attracting the people that I already enjoy working with. I enjoy being with. And it's not that I focus on just marketing to them. I just talk about it. It's part of my thing. When I donate, I donate to animal shelters and things like that. And what ends up happening, those people notice it and they start coming to me. And those are the people that I enjoy working with better. And they become better clients. They become better referral partners. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it all starts with, you know what, this is where I have a a soft spot. Let me kind of be there.
1: So as it happens, I, I have wanted to do this work for a long time, and I felt like I needed a bigger platform. I needed to get more ready. And it was actually a business coach in the Portland area, Oshana Hammett, who got me to see, like, no, I don't have to wait. I can do this now. Um, and if I don't do it now and five years go by, and then that's five years that I'm not doing this work. So... Mm-hmm. um Whatever, and, and and I think it is beginning to attract more people to me. That my my tribe will grow bef- because of the work I'm doing. So ev- even I was guilty of falling into that hole. <laughs> but, um, Very cool. Uh, it's 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 so exciting. I yeah. Think, Nobody can accuse me of not thinking big enough this time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And I, and I love that about you. It's one of the things that, that you and I talked about the last time we had an interview. Um, it was great stuff then. This is even better now. So as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, if you had one actionable item that people should get out and do, what would that be?
1: Well, look around and look for the low-hanging fruit. Maybe it's something as easy as switching from a single-sided laser printer to a duplexing one, or you know, caulking your windows and making sure that your outside wall electric outlets and switch plates are insulated. Or it could be something much bigger than that. You can see uh, sometimes one of the examples in the book actually is a, a factory in China that was able to cut its energy bills on one industrial process by, I think it was 92%, just by yanking out narrow, curvy pipes and putting in big, fat, straight ones and reducing the friction uh, to the point where they didn't need valves and on and on it goes. It It was a very significant transition for them that would have been very hard to see coming until it was done and saved them an awful lot of money and allowed them to crow about being leaders in the field. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is, and and look at, I can help people, actually, on transformpreneur.com, there is a, a, a series of two assessments, one on, social transformation, business profitability, and the other on green business profitability. And I encourage people to take those assessments and look at the results. And if they want help looking at the results, then there's a link to click to get that help from me. And, uh, you know, see where are the opportunities for you to do this? Where, where are the places where the world is crying out for something you can give them and make money at it?
0: Nice. I love that great great conversation shell i appreciate you coming and hanging out with me having teaching me some stuff because it's always good because i because some of these things i have to be reminded of myself which is really good um so the book is gorilla marketing to heal the world um it's on amazon when does it actually go live here uh April 19th. April 19th, all right. And on
1: Transformpreneur, if you click on the link to the book, you'll get a choice of Amazon and about five other booksellers, including if you want an autograph copy, there's one that you can get it from me.
0: Very cool. Awesome. All right. And so how else can people also get in touch with you?
1: My phone number is 413 586 Eight eight four one three five eight six two three eight eight. I'm happy to have your call anytime between eight a.m. and ten p.m. Eastern. I'm emailable at s h e l shell, my first name, at greenandprofitable And is spelled out, and shell has only one l. Twitter is my name again, shellhorowitz, uh, and. Um, Basically, I try to make myself
0: pretty accessible. <laughs> awesome. Yes, yeah, so, you know, there's not a lot of people on my show that actually give out phone numbers. I don't even give out my phone number. <laughs> um, so that shows how, how accessible you are and how passionate you are about this. So, uh, Shell, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, you know me. If there's anything that I can do to help you out, reach out and let me know anytime. I appreciate it. All right. And thanks, everybody's listening in. If you got good stuff out of this, definitely go to iTunes and pop in a a review. Just let us know how we're we're doing. Um, Let Shell know that you appreciated him on the show and that you got good stuff out of it. Um, Be sure to connect with him. And all the show notes will be on the website at drivingyourmarketing.com. And that will
1: include my contact information, I'm sure.
0: Oh, definitely. And with that, everybody get out there. Have an amazing Rockstar Week, and we'll see you on the next show. Hey there, this is Eli again, and I got a question for you. Do you have a roadmap for marketing your business? If you're consistently looking for new marketing ideas just to keep your business going, then you need to check out smallbusinessmarketingroadmap.com and download the free special report that I created to help you create a marketing plan that will thrive in any economy. Again, that's smallbusinessmarketingroadmap.com. Go get it, read it, and start the road trip of your lifetime. See you on the other side.